Welcome to the Intern Whisper, the show all about the future of work. So today's guest is going to be Caroline Chomanix with Ideas for Us and Fleet Farming. That's one of their programs. But before we introduce her, today's Intern Whisperer employee tip of the week is be sure to have your intern meet and spend time with different people in your organization. This is a nice way to introduce them to the people in the company and establish certainly a good company culture and it's all built around relationships. So welcome Caroline to the Intern Whisperer. Hi, thank you for having me. I am super excited because things that ideas for us and Leap Farming are near and dear to my heart. And so I've been trying to get somebody from your organization and I'm so happy that it's you. It's a woman in this business too. Yeah, I've been with ideas for a while now. So I feel like I have a lot to say on a lot of different things. So it's going to be a great show. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. And I know that you guys are going to share it like crazy. So we should see. And just so you know, and you can go back and tell it to the team, your team, this show airs on three live radio stations, WBBR FM in New York, Cornell Radio, Valencia College Radio, 10 podcast channels, and our YouTube and our also our Facebook video page. So people can watch it in video, they can listen to it. We've got uh, a lot of downloads going on, and it's predominantly businesses that actually gravitate to our show more than students, which is kind of surprising to me. But anyway, Axel, you ready to kick off the first yeah. question? So what is your educational background and how did you get your first job? So my educational background, I you know, went to community college. I wanted to stay close to home and it kind of aligned with my story of how I got into environmentalism. At 20, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I ended up stumbling upon a botanical garden that was hidden by a forest in my community, West Orlando. And basically I convinced the botanical garden to let me and my brother move into the seven acres and live in a historic home. Through that, I was like, I really need to teach myself about plants if I want to live here and, and, and you know, pun intended, grow with the nonprofit. And so I went to Valencia College and I studied landscape and horticulture technology. I fell absolutely in love with learning about plants. And from there, I basically had an opportunity to go to Rollins College on basically a full ride, as I had basically a full ride with Valencia as well. Through Rollins, I studied environmental studies and got my bachelor's. And since then, and really during the whole process, I was able to quickly apply what I was learning with my job, which was fleet farming. I'm going to say, go Tars, yay, we're both Rollins grads also. <laughs> I'm very awesome. that. And one of my programs, I was a grants administrator over there too, in foundation relations, environmental studies. And I love all of my professors and Anne Francis. A little shout out. Yes, shout out to Anne Francis. She's amazing. She is. I love Anne. One of my bestest friends. Okay, so what's the meaning of fleet farming, but where did the ideas for us come? So we have the parent organization yes. and then we have the program. Let's start with ideas for us. Cool. Yeah, so... Ideas for Us started in about 2008 on the UCF campus. It was a group of students who were really tired about hearing about advocacy and they wanted to take direct action. So they started to do environmental events on and off campus. Really since then, it grew into a nonprofit 
it grew into an NGO accredited by the United Nations. And now we have multiple programs that are, you know, really flagship programs of ideas for us, including fleet farming and that started in 2014. And so fleet farming is an urban agriculture program that turns the average American lawn into a productive micro farm, mostly by bicycle. And we have um, three different parts of our program. We have our lawns to farms program with fleet farmlets or micro farms. We have edible landscapes and edible landscaping service. And then we have fleet education that educates and empowers people to grow their own food. So fleet, because you're on a bicycle, and you're being, it's fleeting, maybe life is fleeting, types of ways that I could interpret that. Um, do people, I'm just kind of curious, do people find that it's hard to maintain a, a farm on their front yard? Because I would think people would steal my food. You know, we haven't had too many problems with that. Uh, I think that whenever you see farms in a community, there creates, you know, some sort of a community pride around it. You would think that, you know, people have bad intentions, but um, I found that, you know, people are surprisingly supportive and loving and caring and they see the value of what we're doing. So, you know, if they've taken a tomato here and there, we welcome that. So it sounds like it's always a community thing, maybe not just one person, but many people in a community are embracing this. Yeah, that's actually where the idea of fleet farming comes in. It's a fleet of people, of volunteers, of neighbors, of staff, interns, um, kind of buzzing around from house to house, farming together on bicycles. So it definitely is a community supported agriculture program rather than a traditional farm where you might not want people to be, you know, stepping all around your, your rows. Okay, so I'm going to go back then because now you've raised another interesting question just to clarify for our listeners. So it's not just me out there taking care of my garden right in my front yard, I could go and sign up with your program and then I would have other people part of the fleet that would come and help me maintain my garden. A very extensive internship program that matches interns with staff, as well as uh, community farming days that we call swarm rides. And they're farming bicycle rides through the city of where we you know, have our farms. And uh, it educates people on how to grow food, but it's also just a really fun way to socialize. We have music and we usually are you know, eating at each farm and it's a really great event. And I think that's really at the heart of what we do is we're trying to bring people together and we're trying to advocate for our local food system in a new and fun way. Yeah, and nothing brings people together more than food, whether it's straight from the ground or on the plate, you know, food to farm, yeah, farm to plate. I love that. So the next thing that we're going to move into here is, well, you explained ideas for us and also fleet farming and uh, the whole history. Was Chris, uh, Chris Castro part of the original group from UCF? Yes. So Chris remains as the president of Ideas for Us, but he was one of the students from the UCF campus that started it. It was really Chris Clay and, and a, um, a couple other people that joined together and, you know, started something out of nothing. And I'm so thankful that they did because I absolutely love my job. I love what we do. And it, it's something that we literally get to see grow, whether it's through fleet farming or ideas in our other environmental programming. We're growing every single month and it's 
it's really exciting. Whereas, you know, I could be working for a corporation or for another established nonprofit. It feels like something that we're creating together every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. I love Chris. He's such a visionary, I think. And I also know Clayton. You call him Clay, but I also know him. He's also another Rollins grad. So, yay, yes. Okay, back over here. So you wear a lot of hats. You've got the original ideas for us that's there. And then also you're looking at, you have all of the programs, but before we go back into fleet farming, tell us more about all of the programs that you oversee, because it is a lot. It is a lot. And, and we love it like that. So, so basically with ideas for us, we develop fund and scale environmental solutions to solve environmental challenges that we have. We're started in Orlando, Florida, where we have our HQ, where we have a ton of programming. I'm talking every week. And then we have other branches in Florida. We have one at UCF. We have one in Tampa Bay, but we also have branches um, internationally in Africa, Asia, and Europe. The basic idea is centered around our program called the Ideas High. The Ideas Hive is a community think and do tank that brings together subject matter experts in sustainability with the general public to brainstorm and to identify and to engage in solutions that are based on challenges that we have. And so all of that is aligned with our focus areas of energy, water, food, waste, and ecology. So every month, every branch is talking about something new, whether it's bringing more renewable energy to a community, or maybe our community has problems with water quality that's getting into our, um, our lakes and our rivers, which is true to Central Florida. Or maybe the conversation is, how do we bring local food to an urban environment when we don't have agriculturally zoned land? Hence, fleet farming was born out of the Ideas Hive. And what's great about this is that we're having these deep conversations. We're strategizing with our community, but also at the end of the month, we're doing something about it. So we might be doing a tree planting or shoreline restoration project or a pollinator garden. There's so many different projects that we're able to complete because of this model, the model being broad enough that we can kind of have a, a sampling of sustainability within a city, but also specific enough that we're, we're making changes in ways that are sizable and actually, you know, make a difference. Mm. So what kind of vegetables and fruits can people grow in their gardens? It depends on the time of the year, depends on where you live, right? So in Central Florida right now, it's starting to get really hot. So we did our job with, you know, getting our gardens ready for summer, but sweet potatoes, okra, herbs, beans, more summer tolerant peas, cover crops, uh, zinnias, sunflowers. There's a lot of different things that you can grow in May, but it is getting hot. So it's better to cover the soil from the sun and plant what you can. I guess summer is, you know, our winter, which is if, if we were in Northern states. So it's usually a time of rest. We keep things going and we, we take this time to amend our soil and yeah, grow our summer crops. This was totally off topic, but one of the things that I had read about is the city of Orlando, and it might be Orange County, they had a program, and I'm pretty sure they still have it, where if you uh, wanted to have a chicken farm, or not chicken farm, but they would let you have two chickens, like it was a grant, and then you got the materials to build a little chicken coop, and you could have it so you could have fresh eggs in your, in your household, and I went, that is brilliant. So I was wondering, do you guys participate in that program? 
don't. We actually grow 100% vegan and vegetarian crops instead of getting into any sort of animal agriculture. But yeah, I, I personally, I would love to have chickens one day in my life. That's kind of like one of my, uh, you know, gauges of success is if I've have uh, some Rhode Island reds or some sort of chickens. <laughs> Yeah, it sounded like it was a really cool thing. And then I was thinking, well, I guess it's only roosters that crow at morning. So I was hoping it wasn't the chickens because I thought that would be a deterrent. Bee, I'm going to throw bees in here. So honey farms. So do you guys do anything with the bees also? What we do, we don't have any hives that we keep. But what we do is we have native landscaping around most of our wheat farming micro farms or farmlets uh, to really encourage the pollinators to come with help with the crops. But that's something maybe we'll get into in the future. And my other job as a um, homeschool teacher to uh, some really great students teaching nature and gardening, that's one thing that we definitely have lessons on is beekeeping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know some of the homeschools, they've had the beekeeping for sure, but they also talked about the value of having cross-pollination. But, you know, ladybugs and all of the different types of insects that are out there, there's really a purpose for every single one of them, even the annoying mosquitoes that we do not like. We need to respect the boundaries. And I, I usually go, well, if I'm in their house, then they have the right to suck the blood out of me. But if they're in my house, no mosquito will live. Yeah, I think a good, you know, thing to remember is when Rachel Carson wrote the book, Silent Spring, and oh, yeah. how pollution was affecting her community, and she couldn't hear the sounds of nature anymore. And I think that that's a really good thing to remember even into today. We might not like things like mosquitoes or I don't know why you wouldn't like bugs. I, I love bugs, but you know, we wanna have these sounds in nature. That's, that's an indicator of a healthy ecosystem, right? Yeah, I know Rachel, she's awesome too. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, you're mentioning all of these people that I know. So yeah, I do agree with you on that one for sure. But there is always something about being able to hear the bu the bugs, cicadas, things like that. It's very comforting sometimes. Oh, yeah. Camping. It feels like camping. All right. Fleet Farming's mission. Yeah. So Fleet Farming's mission is to empower all generations to grow food. We do that in a number of ways. We have school garden programs. We actually have created over 19 school and community gardens within the Central Florida community, offering education and maintenance and summer preparation to our schools, as well as teaching classes. I teach so many classes. I have over uh, 19 different uh, classes to choose from, everything from gardening 101 to quote unquote weeds and uh, uh, how to identify different plants that we have in our garden and really the benefits to conversations about natural pest management. And it, the list goes on and on because these resources need to be more readily available. So then people feel more confidence when they're growing. We also have a summer camp that we're starting this year. I'm so excited about. It's called Save the Planet Summer Camp. And it's five days of educational programming related to energy, water, food, waste, and ecology for Florida. So when the students come out of this, they're going to be so informed about everything that has to do with sustainability. I'm so excited to offer that. And on top of that, we really see our internship programs as a form of education. You know, we're giving one-on-one -on -one training and things that are usually, you know, careers that you have to kind of get into to have these opportunities. So we offered 16 different internships and I'm sure you'll ask about that later. Yeah. Feel free to talk about it now though. We're in it. Go ahead. <laughs> Some of our internships include farming, fleet education, getting them to help with the summer camp. I had an intern help me create the entire summer camp. Shout out to Katie. 
Katie, she's amazing. Blog writing, grant writing and fundraising, social media, videography. We have them in eco-action organizing for all of our branches, international affairs. We have um, farmer's market business and the list goes on and on. Um, we really have a lot of different options because we know that it's hard for people to get things on their resume when they don't have any experience. How do you get the job or get the internship when you're starting from zero, from an interest, yeah. right? And from that, we write uh, letters of recommendation for all of our interns, but we also do a photo shoot at the end of the semester so we can give out um, headshots to all of our interns and help them with their resumes if they need help. So you and I are very much kindred spirits in so many ways. We yes. definitely have to go and have lunch someplace good. I'm so open. Maybe we'll go to East End where we have some farms. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to go there. I always like going to East End. Oh my gosh, Gideon's chocolates, you know, their cookies are so good. Anyway, getting back on point. Okay, you're up. Yes. <laughs> so here's a question. Has COVID changed the agricultural market? <sighs> well, I think COVID changed everything, right? We definitely had to furlough staff for a while because we didn't want to be a part of spreading anything. And it was really a challenge for a lot of nonprofits. I think that the Central Florida Foundation announced that 30% of nonprofits closed during this time. So it definitely was a challenge in, in fundraising for our agricultural programming, our school garden programs, our uh, different projects through ideas for us. But Food-wise, I think it was a renaissance in a way because people really realized that, you know, what we have locally is super important. Being able to provide your own produce and to be able to grow your own food is something that everybody should have when, you know, especially when it's in times of need and, you know, you might feel like you can't go to the grocery store or you feel like, uh, you know, you're not able to get the supplies that you need, whether people are hoarding it or because they're not as available anymore. That's when you realize, what do I have to rely on in my yard? And so we saw a lot of interest in gardening, growing food in our edible landscaping service, even in supporting our CSA, our Community Supportive Agriculture, weekly baskets of produce. People were really thinking about building immunity through nutrition and through healthy food. And we know that food that is harvested, you know, freshly uh, is, is more healthy for you than food that has been uh, harvested and stored and sprayed with, you know, chemicals that make it ripen at the right time and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think it was really a mind shift, uh, a mindset shift that we experienced um, through COVID. And um, I think our staff and our programming was able to adapt and come out of it having a little bit more seriousness even for what we do and and knowing that it's it's something that you know can really change a situation when when you're in a time of need mm, I would think so because people were desperate also they they knew they couldn't go out but yet gardening was probably a welcome relief you're getting your hands in you know the dirt nature it's feeling more grounding than the isolation of being in a house constantly or with, you know, just whoever it is that you, you live with. So I would think gardening would be very, very beneficial. When I, I, my first two years of college, I went to University of Florida and then I ended up graduating from Rollins College and <clears throat> went to Florida, Gainesville. I had signed up and I had a community farm. And that was one of the things that I had on the list is 
community farms out there at that big school, you know, I'd go pick my, my plot that I wanted to have and I, it's all, you know, like in a fence, but I grew corn, I grew tomatoes. I tried to grow cauliflower, really hard to do that. Didn't know that there was a little trick to cauliflower too. You're supposed to cover those little leaves and everything. But why is it all green? It looks weird. But, you know, I learned a lot about that and it was very, it was fun because like what you were saying, the only transportation I had when I was at Florida was a bicycle. So I was riding my bike everywhere and it's a different kind of a lifestyle. So I'm glad to see that community farms, sustainable farms, fleet farming, these are coming back in a time when I think it's very needed with so much that is automated and just sedentary. I read an article last week. It said that um, sitting Zoom is like the new smoking. Totally. Yeah. So getting on your bike and going farm to farm, you know, through your neighborhood, what, who doesn't want to do that? So we definitely want to encourage people to start up programs like fleet farming too. You know, maybe you can grow food in your backyard or front yard and get other people to grow too. And, and some other options are fruit trees. Fruit trees are oh, yeah. super easy to maintain. Limes, lemons, orange, orange trees and avocados and mangoes. Those all grow really well here, right? Definitely. Yeah. I love them. Barbados cherries, bananas, uh, lychee. Like we can grow some really fun stuff. Mm, so good. Is lychee, that's, uh, is it a smaller tree or does it grow really big too? I would say maybe it's a medium sized tree, but they, when they fruit, and I've seen them fruit in central Florida. Wow. They have so many fruits on them. Um, similarly, but a little bit taller is avocado. They just have yeah. so much bounty from them. Yeah. Raccoons like them a lot. So you have to beat the uh, raccoon to get your avocados when they hit the ground, because I would go out and I'd go, where, where are they? They're just like half eaten. And they go on, I guess, to the next avocado. It was really frustrating because I would go, couldn't you just finish the whole darn avocado? You take like, what you could do is put um, like a, a, you know, when you get strawberries and it comes in that case, that kind of snaps. You yeah. can kind of use that to snap over some of them. But again, you know, our, our wildlife is, is struggling. So maybe that raccoon, even though he could have finished the whole avocado instead of taking a bite from each one, you know, they, they do have an important place in our ecosystem. Anyway, what's the difference between agriculture or regular farming compared to sustainable farming? So I think when you think about our food system being on industrial level, right? There's a lot of additives that you have to add to these systems because of the way that we're basically fighting nature. So when you think about monoculture farms, right? Growing one crop for sometimes thousands of miles. This goes against so many things that nature, you know, uh, rules that nature abides to. When you are growing in this type of fashion, you need pesticides, fertilizers, insecticides. You need um, massive watering systems that could attribute to even evaporation. And, you know, you have to add more water. So, you know, having all of these different things working together to produce a crop has environmental and social consequences. Environmental because of the amount of water that's used, the amount of chemicals that are sprayed on the earth that, you know, affects our terrestrial ecosystems, but also it leads to our waterways and affects the um, clarity of our water or the quality. It also affects the air and air pollution. 
because of these big machines used, you know, using gasoline, sometimes diesel to come up and down the rows. But really a, a huge one is the social aspect of how this affects people. And it affects people generationally. You know, some of the chemicals that's being used, it's been shown like glyphosate, for example, it's been, it's been shown to really affect, you know, generations of these farmers. And that's totally not fair, whether they're breathing it in or they have it on their hands or their skin. It really attributes as well to modern day slavery situations where they have to basically get paid by the amount of produce that they harvest, maybe the weight or the number of items, which means that they're not going to take breaks or, you know, use a restroom or drink water or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that they need to do because they want to make more money for their family because they're getting paid so little. So there's so much that goes into it. And a really great book about this um, type of situation in Florida is called Tomato Land and about how even in America, this um, happens. And so that's really something to read about. So when we talk about sustainable farming and really better yet, regenerative agriculture, we're talking about closing more of the loop and having it be regenerative to the land and having it be part of systems of nature. We see this in a lot of uh, permaculture systems or permanent agriculture systems, mimicry and food forestry, things like that, where it's polycultures, it's biodiverse, it's planting different types of plants all together who are taking out different micro and, and macro elements from the soil. So that soil is being tended to by the plants instead of being added uh, from fertilizers and having to be compensated in some way synthetically. So really, this is a whole movement to even change the way that we look at waste. You know, 40% of our food in America is, is wasted, whether that's due to transportation that attributes to pollution, or if that is, you know, people uh, just, or grocery stores even, not timing it right and throwing out just gross amounts of food that could go to food pantries and homeless shelters and people that could be shopping at, you know, discounted hours of the grocery store's uh, schedule. So there's so many solutions that we have. It's just the conversation about how do we, how do we have these systems that are sustainable and closed loop and good for the environment, good for the people when we're in a culture and in a system that is based off of the maximum amount of profit for the least amount of people. And so when, you know, we're creating programs like fleet farming, fleet farming isn't the answer, but all local growers are the answer to keep our supply chains short and local and to grow seasonally, to not be fighting nature so much, not having so many additives, and really to be tending to the soil, adding soil amendments, caring for the land that we have, and in turn, inviting the ecosystem to still live here, and to still be here with us. Mm -hmm. And whereas you have the system that's regenerative, that's also thinking about you know, paying people a living wage or better to be able to provide nutritious food for their family. And so I think that in a lot of ways, Orlando is very behind, you know, we don't have the systems that Portland or Boulder, Colorado, or other places, Asheville, North Carolina, they have a, a rich culture of local food established, but I think we're making a lot of headway. There's a lot of really amazing farms, just to shout out in the central Florida community, Ever Oak Farms, there's Infinite Zion Farms, there's Winter Park Urban Farm, there's 
frog song. There's, you know, a, a bunch of different ones, noble roots that are really making a name for themselves here and adding to that more sustainable and regenerative culture. Mm, so good. Do most farmers markets, I, now I've gone to the one in Maitland, Winter Park, and then some of the surrounding areas here, of, of certainly of Orlando, do they have, uh, for the most part, local farmers there? Because there is always this, I swear they're on a circuit. There will be people that go, but didn't I just see you Saturday, yesterday over there at Winter Park? And now you're here Sunday at, you know, the farmer's market in Maitland. And I'm, I'm wondering, is it a family that actually goes around or is it a bigger farm and they just go yeah. everything? I love this question because farmers truly local farmers, not resellers. There, there are uh, something that we call Costco growers that they fill up, you know, at 4 a.m. at, you know, one of the, some of these bigger uh, distributors. And then they bring that food from Guatemala, Mexico, California to a local <clears throat> farmer's market, kind of um, in a way deceiving what the local farmer's market is supposed to be, getting the best spots and, and et cetera. It does exist if you look for stickers on produce. But when we talk about providing support to our local farmers. How do I do that? You're already, you sold me on supporting local food systems. How do I do it? One of the best ways is to go to your local farmer's market and to buy local. We really rely on this. Even in the summer months, it can be so difficult to make it worth your time. Sometimes you're there from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. And that's a long time to only make like, what, $100? And, yeah. you know, even that there's costs associated. So how much money are you really making? So I think that's one way that you can really support your local growers is through the farmer's market and, you know, telling your markets that you want to see more local food or you want the local vendors to have better spots at the farmer's market because it does make a difference. But also besides that, you can support farms, CSA programs or community supported agriculture programs. Basically what that is, is a weekly basket of produce, whether it's a full share or a half share, and you're just getting whatever the farm has available, which is cool because you're supporting seasonal, you're supporting a rich diet full of diversity, right? And you're making fun recipes from what you have, and you know that you're supporting your local food system. So doing that is really great. And then of course, when there's any farm to table dinners, be the first one to buy a ticket because they go fast. And it's so amazing to have a full meal from uh, local growers and to have that experience to sit down and talk with them and listen to music, maybe have some wine. And, and yeah, they're really fun events that I know that a lot of farms do too as well. Oh, I've gone to those too. I like them very much. And I know you and I, before we started the show, we talked about East End Market. That's a place where people here in Central Florida can go and, you know, check out some of the local artisans of various, whether it's bread or cookies or whatever, you know, they have wonderful foods there, honey, all kinds of honey. And the Fleet Farm is right there in the front of East End. So, you know, definitely give a little shout out to John Rife and, you know, his team. Yes, different vendors, small vendors. So as people are getting their businesses started, they start with a small storefront um, inside the building there, and then they can grow it out of the building and it's 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 an opportunity for people to start small and, and to grow over time and oh, the food there is amazing do they still have the kitchen the little commissary kitchen where people can go upstairs and they do they yeah yeah and i'm working on a project now to create another commissary kitchen super close by oh that is really good to hear <clears throat> let's see we're looking through here 
What does a typical day look like for a volunteer at Fleet Farming? For farming particularly, certain days of the week we harvest, certain days of the week we do maintenance, scouting for different types of pests and uh, soil amending. So you might get there, say that you're, for instance, uh, an intern and you're joining us for a fleet farming swarm ride with other volunteers. So we'll get there together. We'll have a little circle time about who we are, what we do, and what we're going to do that day. Just because th those conversations are really important when we're, you know, talking about industrialized agriculture and local and really remembering why it's important. Then we will head out on bikes to a local farm, probably maybe, you know, five minutes down the street, passing some farms as we go. And then we will get to the property and identify uh, what needs to be done. We will uh, scout for insects. We'll look underneath leaves to see what's there. If we need to use neem oil or something super gentle and natural to get rid of them or to encourage insects. Like if we see a, a parasitic wasp, it's a good sign that our cabbage worms are going to have a natural predator. Then what we'll do is we'll engage in some removal of pioneer species. So a pioneer species is a better way of saying weeds because weeds is really a derogatory term for a plant that we just don't know. They might be amazing healers or, you know, herbal plants that are, are part of herbal medicine or, or culinary plants that can be used. And calling them weeds is really, you know, it's not as uh, friendly as pioneering the land. As ah. pioneering. <laughs> and uh, so we'll do some removal of that. Maybe we'll bring some soil amendments. So one that we really like is worm castings or kelp meal. We'll add that to certain rows dependent on uh, the leaves uh, and, and the quality. Maybe we see some yellowing or some browning and that might tell us that certain plants are deficient in nutrients. So we'll add that directly to the base of the plants. We'll check the irrigation. Maybe we'll engage in some seeding, of course, some harvesting. Something that goes pretty quick right now is our okra. So we have to get it while it's, uh, while it's small, uh, either uh, if you don't, it will start to get kind of fibrous and woody. Harvesting tomatoes, harvesting different root crops as well. So there's always something to be done. And then at the end of the session, say we're, we're done, we tested the irrigation, we harvested, we um, weeded uh, the pioneer species and uh, soil amended, then we will um, move on to the next farm. And uh, during this process, you know, it's important for us to create an experience. So we're playing music and we're having conversations. And, you know, usually our, our group is very lively and funny, actually. And uh, so we really want it to be fun because also you're, you're doing physical labor outside in the sun. And uh, even though you're keeping hydrated and drinking water and wearing a hat, it's something that, you know, you want to enjoy doing. And so once we're done with all that, we'll bring it back. We'll put the produce as soon as possible into cold storage in the fridge and we'll plan and get ready for the next day. Wow. That sounds like it takes a lot of people. So not only interns, I'm pretty sure your volunteer pool is all different ages. I would think that there would be a lot of retirees that would enjoy this just as much. I think so too. I think it gives people purpose. Like, First of all, to give up your lawn if you're not using it really and you don't really want to care for it, like that alone is amazing that people do that for us. But also, you know, to be involved as a volunteer at any age, I think it, especially, you know, older generations though, you know, who might be retired, it just gives a sense of accomplishment, you know, together we're growing food and we're changing the landscape and we're, we're creating a social movement as well around 
um, making sustainability fun. Yeah, and I love the fact that it can be multi-generational. I think that it's so important rather than being just in your own generation. I cannot stress yeah. how important it is. I like crazy. The Waltons, you know, they, they had a thing going on there. Uh, everybody lived in one giant house. Uh, oh. <laughs> our next question here. So you talked about regular farming and sustainable. What type of communities do you guys have within like the own farms and stuff? Our farms are kind of seen as community farms, but uh, we do uh, install community gardens as well as school gardens, gardens for apartment complexes, affordable housing units, veterans, women's rehabilitation centers. We've created so many of those over the years through our edible landscaping service that builds more raised beds and installs food forests and uh, plants fruit trees. So that's been a really amazing thing that we've been a part of. And yeah, I think that, you know, I used to work with the city as an intern actually in their community gardens department, I guess you would say. And I learned a lot about the importance uh, nutritionally and socially of, of creating these opportunities for people. And so I've applied some of that to us whenever we help people to create these types of gardens. And I think it really is important to have it in places uh, that uh, collect a lot of people together, you know, and having a reason to come out of your apartment or come out of your condo or, you know, your school and to socialize and interact with people in a way that is uh, interactive which is growing food. There's always something to do. And there's a lot of conversations to be had at Frost Gardens. Well, we're going to take just a few seconds to acknowledge our sponsor. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So we're back to our show and our show is all about internships and remembering that somebody gave us a chance. We're going to jump right into the future of work though. And when I was talking about this with you before the show, we were looking at how there's just a really big need for food and that by 2030, there's supposed to be estimated 5 billion people. I cannot begin to fathom, you know, we don't have enough farmland to actually, I think, produce that. So that's why there's looking at how are we going to manage farms? I think that community farms, fleet farming, having different ways that we grow our food, whether it's vertical, that all matters. And to be able to have something like that means that it's going to be uh, reaching all different classes of people, you know? So what are your thoughts about what does it look like in 2030 or 2025? What does it look like? Yeah, so I think a lot of that is, it's gonna have to be everything. So it's going, in my opinion, it's gonna have to be in ground urban agriculture like with fleet farming, yes. But also hydroponics, aeroponics, aquaponics, because whenever you have you know more pollution in the air, whenever you have you know, the risk of natural disasters more prevalent, which we probably will see, you need to protect your resources and food is your one of your resources. And so also, you know, systems like hydroponics can save a lot of water, um, aeroponics, um, perhaps hydroponics as well, because it's more circulating. Mm -hmm. It does take out the aspect of, you know, ecology and the ecosystem and, and being outside and all of that, 
which I love so much, but these solutions are going to have to be flexible to the ever-changing environment. So I really see a lot of, you know, like I said, all, uh, all of those different growing um, methods being used more prevalent, prevalently, using more things like microgreens that have more nutrition used with less agricultural effort as well. You know, they, they really pack a nutritional punch with different different things like, uh, you know, sunflower sprouts and things that Jennifer Waxman Lloyd actually taught us from the Villages Grown, who has an amazing resource out there that is just, you know, top of the line, next level. Also, Urban Smart Farm, Diego is just a, a, a wonderful person, but also they have a really good thing going with using the vertical space as well. So, you know, who knows, maybe fleet farming will adapt and we'll start to grow indoors more, but I feel like there is that social element and that health element too of getting outside that we just, you know, love so much. So those are some of the things that I see. Also, you know, probably using more of our waste than we are. We kind of just throw a lot of it away when, you know, resources are going to be very necessary to keep systems going. And, and waste is one of them of using our food waste for um, agricultural uses and composting, even energy. You can have energy off of, I think, uh, different different machines that uh, Orlando Permaculture shared with us and Jeff Trapani about, you know, something that it's a, I think it's a digester where you put your compost in and it creates gas that you can use in your kitchen. So oh my there's God, that's a amazing. lot of different, yeah, there's a lot of different technologies that are coming out that are helping to close the loop. And I think that's going to be the main thing is water conservation. How do we grow food with little water and also little amendments, reusing what you already have and uh, maybe shorter uh, supply chains of having additives to your farm, even in soil amendments. So how can you find more things locally than being a part of these global chains that could be easily you know, disrupted and, and affect communities in a large way? You know, I think tiny homes, there's you know, obviously a certain type of person that would adapt to a tiny home. But I think those that, Me. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure if yours is, but I love it. I love tiny homes. Do you have a tiny home? I don't now, but I am fundraising for one. And that's, that's my goal is I want to live small and, you know, have as, as close uh, as a relationship to nature as possible in systems using solar and, you know, uh, a non-traditional toilet and, and things like that. Right, like composting. I have, I've been convinced and I am on the tiny house, you know, bandwagon. Yep. Yep. I used to think I was also, but then I went, Oh no, I do like plumbing. So that was the composting toilet. I went, no, I don't feel like doing that part, but everything else I like, because you could still have a very comfortable life inside of a home. And it's just, you really don't people, we just don't need that much. We want a lot, yeah. but we really don't need that much. Yeah. And sometimes when we take away things that we don't need, we can really focus on living. Oh yeah, because you can actually hook that little vehicle up, you know, your little home up and then go travel around or you're like living in it if you want, you know, a little tiny bus. Anyway, I could see where vertical, a vertical garden would work really well in a tiny home because you might not have a lot of land if you're in a tiny home community, but if you could have a garden and let's say like even in apartments, I think that's works really well for vertical growth. Yeah, yeah, they're really flexible. We actually sell some grow towers with our edible landscaping service that have soil instead of 
the water used for aeroponics or hydroponics. So those are really flexible and, and, you know, you can really stick them anywhere that you have sunlight. So yeah, I, I think that every home maybe in the future will have some sort of growing device like that and down to a science where it's easy to take care of. Yeah, I agree. One of our other guests was a hydroponics uh, Cornell professor. He was so yeah. He was talking about aquaponics. Yeah, it was good. But we're touching on so many good things. So the other thing you you've mentioned a couple of things that were coming up in the conversation here, but the trends, the just the trends of what is going on in the community that's built around obviously sustainable farming, but the environment itself, the use of plastic. One of the things that Ideas for Us did is let's ban all straws, let's ban plastic bags in the you know, downtown Orlando area. And I saw that as a really positive move. There was a really good movie. I had one of my other companies is Pivot Business Consulting. So I had done a, um, a, an awareness movie and it was on Plastic Paradise. And how much do you know that movie? No, no. It sounds like something that I would like to watch though. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. So there's all of this plastic, which we all know accumulates in the oceans and it's created these giant masses of what can now be considered an island of just plastic. And then when they were over in Hawaii and they were checking the animals that whether it's the birds or the fish or whatever that have died, all they're finding is just, you know, bottle caps and, and plastic bags that are, you know, it's floating in the water and it's what they eat. And that's a sad commentary because all of that gets into obviously their bodies. It gets into our own ecosystem, especially if we use it. It's like we could go on and on and on about that. So it says only 9% of the world's plastic is actually recycled. That's disgusting. What am I taking all of this plastic to? And the movie covers that. So definitely go look for it. The plastic paradise. The movement is now to focus more on bioplastics, paper, reusable products. You know, we can go into the stores, we can take our reusable bags, but, you know, and then I'm recycling, right? Uh, chicken, the, the eggs, the plastic cartons, that styrofoam cartons that the eggs come in. I'm going, no, I don't know where they're being shipped, but it's not here in the United States. I know it goes out of the United States when they are doing any type of recycling. So what are, what are your thoughts about recycling? It does impact, it does get into the land, it is in the foods that we eat, and then we have it. Yeah, I think that recycling has its own challenges of, you know, it, it requires energy to, you know, have these recycling plants. And there's a lot of education that needs to be had about, you know, cleaning your recycling properly, <clears throat> taking off uh, certain caps and, and plastic around it, and what can and cannot be recycled. There's a lot of, you know, things that can make recycling not really work and, you know, compromise uh, a lot of loads and send it to landfill. So I think the goal is zero waste. I think the goal is providing as little plastic waste or, you know, other types of garbage in your life as possible. So then you don't have to have the responsibility of what do I do with this and what's going to end up happening, even if I'm trying to do the right thing and recycle my pizza box. Well, they don't take pizza boxes because of the grease and um, just knowing little things like that. So with zero waste, a, a good example of that is getting produce that isn't flat, wrapped in plastic. I'll tell you, it annoys, you know, the daylights out of me that we wrap produce, like even 
cucumbers, zucchinis, all in plastic when it doesn't really need that, right? Even I've seen bananas come in plastic bags. It's ridiculous. And so buying produce that isn't wrapped, staying to the outskirts of the store usually helps you to reduce your plastic use and changing your diet, buying in bulk. Bulk stores are amazing. In Orlando, one of my favorites got shut down, but you know, even buying online on with sustainable companies that you could request um, as little packaging as possible. You buy a big thing of rice or a big thing of quinoa and you don't have to have that burden of the of the waste as much. A really good example that I hope everybody does is instead of using paper towels and uh, anything disposable, you use reusable rags. There's even reusable menstrual products. You'd be surprised how toxic and you know how big of an issue it, it is with litter with feminine tampons and pads um, every single month um, when you could just be using reusable pads and, and menstrual cups that are better for your body and you produce way, I mean, almost no, no waste at all through that. And it, it just list goes on and on. And it's, it begins with straws and being like, oh yeah, I don't need a plastic straw. That's ridiculous. I and don't get just, straws anymore. I don't get it. I can just sip out of the side of a cup happily. Right. Yes. But then it just grows to more and more and more. And I don't think it's a conversation of like, you know, how bad are you to the environment, but like more exciting and inspiring of like, oh, well, now that I did that, now I can try to get a, a shampoo bar or I can try to do this. And it's, it can be a fun thing and not have to be something that, you know, you're, you're thinking about waste and how much you've produced in your life as something that, you know, is, it's kind of depressing. It, it, you can change that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. There was another, I, and I know we're still on topic somewhat because it's about environment, <laughs> which impacts yes. our food. So uh, when I was working at the Nature Conservancy, there was another movie too that came out. And honestly, I can't remember the name of it, but it was an underground journey of the aquifer. There were oh, scientists and they- What a great movie. Do you know that movie? I do. And it's one of my favorites. And I what always tell my students about it. <sighs> I, I could look it up. Aquifer, it was Florida, produced but... by the Nature Conservancy. I'm so sure of it because they went and they they went to the entrance of the aquifer and you can only go one way. You go all the way and they had to make sure they had enough air going in there. And it was disgusting to see how many people had dumped tires and, and you know, big giant drums that were in yeah. the, stuff in the middle of the aquifer. And I'm going, that's where we're drinking. Oh my God, You've got to be kidding me. It's crazy because, you know, if you've ever been to a Florida spring, it is sacred. It's absolutely yes. beautiful. The water is so clear and, and what we would assume is clean, right? And it's just a shame that, you know, even when you go to visit the springs, if you, you know, have sunscreen all over your body that has different chemicals that are bad for waterways, um, I think it's called exibenzone or something like that, yeah. something with um, O, you're even polluting that by going in the water. Or maybe you just washed your hair and your shampoo is getting in the water. Or maybe your fertilizer on your lawn and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you know, the more you know, the more that you can help to protect the things that you love, right? And I love the Florida Springs. I love our, our Florida State Parks, lakes, et cetera. And the, the least amount of additives that we have, the better. A good example of that is you brought up Grove, I think, earlier. And, you know, thinking about your cleaning products as well and your soap. So not all soaps are good for the environment. Some of them mm. have chemicals that are not good for your body. You know, your, your, um, your skin is your largest organ and you can absorb those, those nasty chemicals. So using more things like Dr. Bronner's or, or biodegradable soaps are better for you, better for the planet. And like I said, it's just a form of 
you know, learning more and, and adapting more sustainable swaps to your life. Yeah, I've seen some new commercials out and this is one of the trends too, is to focus on reusing. And there's been a lot of those, not on TV, I just watch it online, but there's a movement now to make sure that people are not throwing their furniture away, like really take it someplace, put it in a car, have somebody come and pick it up, but take it where somebody can reuse that piece of furniture. Green energy. Let's move over to green energy. Okay. So we can talk about that. Solar, wind, biomass energy, anything that's sustainable. So do you also teach about those things? Yes. So we, uh, ideas for us is an advocate for renewable energy. You would be surprised that in the sunshine state, the most amount of, of energy that is used is hopefully I get this right. Not in order, but petroleum, coal, uh, nuclear, and uh, what's the last one? Some uh, natural gas. Oh, so Florida in Florida's solar energy does not cover nearly as much as it what it could, and yeah. it, it really is about you know having solar and solar storage, and having our people um, advocate that to our energy providers, our energy providers like OUC who decided to take the strategy of um, convincing people that, oh, well, if you want um, affordable energy and if you want it to be reliable and if you wanted it to be, uh, you know, one other aspect, then you can't have it be sustainable. And, On you know, demand, they ask the right say. people for their survey to show them like, oh, well, the public said that they didn't want it to be sustainable. And that is so messed up because, you know, we're planning things out from now until 2050. So decisions are being made now of how we're going to be in the future. And to not have solar be the leading cause or, or the leading renewable energy be to use is a shame for our environment. Natural gas is fracking, right? Natural yeah. gas is fracking. It's just um, a, a nicer way of saying that. Now, now we call it fracked gas because what you do is you have to have water involved. You have a lot of wastewater with a lot of different chemicals. And we have a, a very sensitive Florida environment with limestone and an, an aquifer. Do we mm -hmm. want to be drilling into that? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Do we want to be a part of any system that is compromising the natural area of Florida when we could have renewable energy? I mean, to me and you, it doesn't make sense, but that's why we have to join together and we have to fight for this. And something that I lead is Fridays for Future Orlando, a climate activism group that is partnered with a lot of uh, different organizations, but we advocate for environmental house and Senate bills, but we also advocate for renewable energy in the Sunshine State. It shouldn't be something that we're, we're you know, it's too hard of a sell, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've raised so many good points. I, and I'll throw one more out there um, because I think it falls underneath ideas for us, not just fleet farming. When we talk about light pollution and we go out at night and you can't see the stars and everything, it's like, we could go on and on and on. I really feel like you and I have- So much. And that's why, that's why Ideas does on um, the hive because every hive, we're talking about energy, water, food, waste, and ecology. We have a hive on dark sky coming up, the dark sky society that's um, trying to fight even like our street lamps to not be so bright. Like let's turn that light down and instead of it being like a blue or purple light, let's turn that to like a warmer light. Like even that can, can be really effective for um, encouraging wildlife in the area and be able to see the stars, you know? Yeah. And so if you're interested in anything that we talked about, 
or um, you know, more in environmental topics, please follow Ideas for Us Orlando or Ideas for Us um, Global. We have 13 branches, domestic and international. Um, follow Fleet Farming too at Fleet Farming on Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter, you name it. Uh, we have different events in Orlando specifically for Fleet Farming. We have a YouTube with videos and uh, really engaging websites, both for Fleet Farming, sharing information about pest management and soil amending, things that we break down um, from kind of confusing topics. We make it really simple and easy to understand, as well as the Ideas for Us website that has a, a showcase of all the different projects that we do and something that we just started, which is an eco-action request form. Through mm -hmm. that, you can request an eco-action project with us, whether that is a shoreline restoration project or a pollinator garden or a tree planting, whatever it may be, um, you can request that with us and we can fundraise and make it happen. So I kind of jumped ahead to share more information. That's about okay. Us, I'm really glad you did because we really are on the tail end of it. So best mentoring advice that you want to share with anybody that's listening to our show? Um, there's, there's a couple things. So one, you don't have to wait till you're out of school to get involved with your major. You really should be getting involved as, as early as you can. I started working for Ideas for Us the entire time as I, I was going to school, number one. Number two, act like you really care because that is a, a really big thing that someone taught me once. You know, put in all of your effort, ask questions, be, be aware of what's going on. Don't just take a backseat and try to have an easy internship or an easy school experience. This is your life, right? These could be your colleagues. This could be, you know, it for you. So really get involved and act like you care. You care about the environment. You care about people. Where, what do you care about and how can you showcase that in your work? So that's what I would say. Yep. Well, that is good stuff. You also told us how people could find you. So I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. And we're going to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and our production team, Axel Aponte. Video and auditing team is Steve Neese, Nala Ellie, Raymond Ahmad. Well, I'm hoping I'm saying it right. Ahmad Khan, Mitzaria Rosales, and Berkeley Walgamot. We have all new people here and they have some hard names for me. So they're going to teach me this. Anyway, employers visit Intern Pursuit at www.internpursuit.tech to learn how you can get matched with amazing intern talent and have marvelous results. Thank you for supporting our show and subscribing to us on Podbean. <laughs>